Sucker Radio back for another week for your listening pleasure. I'm your host, well, one of them, Jeremy Brand, sitting alide, alongside Riding Shotgun with me, Mr. Ian Bain. Ian, how you doing this week, man? I'm not too bad, Jeremy. How are you? Can't complain, can't complain. We had a fantastic fight card this weekend, which I figure we might as well go over right off the hop. Um, a little bit of controversy in the main event. I wouldn't say it was a robbery by any means, but... Um, I personally thought Alexander Gustafson stole the fight from John Jones, but uh, many still believe that John Jones won it, and in turn he took home the judge's nod. So, uh, what were your thoughts on the fight overall, and and who did you score it for? Yeah, it was a it was a very good fight. Um, I, I do agree with a lot of people. It is the best light headweight title fight of all time. There isn't anything really close to that. As for, for scoring, and I'm pretty much the same as you, I thought Gustafsson did just enough to get at least three rounds. You could make the argument it could have been four rounds uh, if you include the fourth round, but the way Jones was ending rounds, it was it was kind of uh, like Jones was using the back end of the rounds to steal the actual fight, and I think that's quite a clever way of fighting. So a clever way of fighting it is, but at the same time, that's not the way fights are supposed to be scored. No, but that, that's, a, that's a different issue completely. We saw, you know, judging, especially in MMA, is, is so complexly bad that we need to, to get a reform of that. But, you know, how many times have we seen guys who, you know, end rounds well steal, steal the decision? You know, the Phil Davis-Leoto Machida fight. Phil getting them takedowns right at the end was winning him the fight, despite Machida dominating for that full amount of time. But, you know, Jeremy, I'm, I'm not sure about you. How, how did you actually score round four? I had round four for Jones just just because of the way he had Alex at the end of the round. He almost had him out. I, I figure another few punches, rather than him going for the takedown attempt, which Gustafson ended up stuffing, he could have possibly knocked him out. Oh yeah, you know, and Gustafsson's got a hell of a chin, a hell of a chin. Some head kicks, which you know, I think would have dropped most people, and he just kept going forward. But I think you know, not taking away from John Jones because he had an excellent performance, it, it is Gustafsson who's coming away from this fight with the most, you know, achieved from it. You know, we've seen, especially on Twitter, how many fans are now on Gustafsson's side after you know being such a big underdog. And, and how many people want the automatic rematch? I am one of those people. I do, however, feel for, for Glover Teixeira because he's rightfully earned his title shot. But we've seen it so many times where, you know, a fight is really close and they end up giving that rematch in to the, to the you know, like we saw Gray Maynard and, and Frank Yeager how many times there. Uh, we've seen it with many different guys where, where the automatic rematch ends up happening. And, and I think this one could go that way as well. What do you think? Yeah, I think the the rematch makes the most sense. I think if UFC want to build another contender around uh, Gustafsson and John Jones, I think it would be maybe wise to do Glover versus Phil. You know, Glover didn't really look too impressive against Ryan Bader. You know, the, the stoppage that he got was excellent, but, you know, he got rocked against Bader, who's not best striker in the world. He's got heavy hands. So I think it would be nice to see him against someone like Phil Davis, who's probably going to try and wrestle a bit more. Um, because my problem with, you know, Glover fighting John Jones is I think Jones would be able to take him down and beat him up. Um, so Phil Davis would be a good indicator of just how good Glover's takedown defense is. Or even a guy like, they say, you know, Daniel Cormier drops down, he gets an automatic title shot. Why not put Glover in there against Daniel Cormier? You know, that's a, a good possibility. And I'm one of those people that think Daniel Cormier could beat John Jones. I think his expertise at pinning people against the cage, I think he would be able to do that at Jones. Um, and, you know, Gustafsson's takedown defense has improved a lot. That that was definitely noticeable this weekend. But could you imagine John Jones trying to wrestle Daniel Cormier? There's only one guy who's going to win that fight. Yeah, and I think that I think that if they do end up giving Glover the title shot... Then the most the next definitive fight should be Alexander Gustafsson versus Daniel Cormier for that number one contendership. Oh, definitely, and you know we as we were talking just there, uh, 
Gustafsson's takedown defence improved a lot. But how improved is it when he goes against someone like Cormier, who I, who I actually think is the best wrestler in MMA, maybe Bob Ben Askren? Th- those are big words right there because, yeah, I mean, we have guys like Dan Henderson and, and Randy Couture from back in the day, and, and we've seen what they've done, and, and Daniel Cormier looks just as good, if not better. Yeah, and the, the real shame is that Daniel Cormier is old. You know, if we could have got a, a Daniel Cormier at, say, 25 years old in the MMA, I think we would have probably already seen him win a UFC title. I think his ability to dictate where a fight goes, he's, he reminds me a little bit of George St. Pierre in terms of his wrestling, that if there is any danger going to come his way, he's going to be able to just shoot in and take it down at will. So, it, you know, the the big question with, with Cormier going to 205 is how is he going to handle the weight cut after... You know, those Olympic problems that he had back in, I think it was 2004. Yeah, for sure. Well, let's bounce around the card a bit here with UFC 165. You spoke about George St. Pierre. Let's move down the card and talk about one of his training partners, Francis Carmont, who absolutely laid it on Costa Filippo. And I, that, that fight really surprised me because... I was one of these guys that that went out on the ledge here and chose Philippou to absolute... I thought he was going to dominate Francis Carmont because I was upset with Carmont's past two fights. I didn't think he deserved the decision in either one of those fights, especially the Tom Lawler fight. And he comes in here and he absolutely dominated this one from bell to bell. Yeah, I was shocked at the outcome, but I wasn't shocked at the fight because... uh, it sucked, you know. It seems like a running trend with Francis Carmon. His fights are boring. I, you know, he took down Philippou at, at will, which I think was very impressive, and it, his takedowns have definitely improved over the last couple of fights. But he's just not very active when he's on top. Um, you know, he's a big guy, so someone like Costa, who we haven't really seen off his back, couldn't push him off. Uh, but I, I kind of feel that with Carmon getting that win, he might get fed to the Lions in his next fight. So I wouldn't be surprised if we see someone, you know, Carmon versus a guy like Jack O'Reilly, maybe, of the UFC are looking to get him back in there quick. Uh, and, and we will see then if, if Carmon is actually going to be somebody who can mix with the top five in middleweight. Yeah, and I heard one guy say on Twitter that that Carmont is the poor man's George St. Pierre. <laughs> well, you know, I can't disagree with that. You know, he's he's got some talent, there's no doubt about it. He's he's very athletically built and you know, if you look at him, he's he's a massive middleweight. He, you know, he's he's big compared to some guys, but even when you look at Philip who's a big guy and, and Carmont looked it made him look small, so uh, you know, it's just one of them. It's interesting, obviously, to see his development go on, but I think he needs to be a little bit more exciting before I'm going to jump on the back of that train. I'd agree. Talk about exciting. The co-main event, Hennen Brow defeats Eddie Wineland by a TKO, which with spinning back kick, and then uh, finished it up with punches. This was pretty sweet. He landed that spinning back kick flush to the jaw, Unfortunately, Wineland thought it was a bad stoppage after the fact at the post-fight press conference. He he was going off about this, but I thought the spinning back kick was awesome. Oh, so do I. And I, I do feel for Eddie because he is a tough guy and you know, he's got a hell of a chin, but I don't think the stoppage was too bad. He was pretty much done, and you do want somebody like Henan Barrow on top of you landing on unanswered punches. But I, I don't know about you, Jeremy. You know, Henan Barrow... He could possibly be the best fighter in the world. He's just not had the platform to keep doing it. You know, he's beaten guys in so many different ways. You know, he's good standing. His ground game's pretty good. You know, he submitted Michael McDonald and Brad Pickett, who are both, you know, not bad grapplers by any means. And then for him to go up against a guy like Eddie Wineland and finish him in that manner, it's absolutely fantastic. And I'm, I'm actually excited to see how Dominic Cruz would be able to deal with Henan Barrow because you know, Henan Barrow just seems to be able to find a way of catching somebody out at any moment in a fight. The difference between a guy like Wineland and Cruz, though, I think, 
I think the 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 problem will be is distance for Barrow in that fight. Is Cruz will be simply trying to pick him apart from the outside. There's no engaging by Cruz in a fight against Barrow. He's simply going to use his footwork and use that length and the jab to try and keep him away because he's not going to want to get on the inside with a guy like this. I agree with that, but at the same time, have have we really seen Dominic Cruz fight a guy with a, a good leg kick arsenal like Hennem Barrow has? Uh, you know, we, we saw, you know, obviously this is a different fighter, but Jose Aldo's way of beating Uriah Faber, those times them leg kicks, and, and Hennem Brow pretty much used the same exact method of way to beat Faber himself. So I think that would be interesting. But, you know, you've just sparked my mind there, bringing up when we brought up Dominic Cruz, how similar was Gustafsson's performance, his footwork, like Dominic Cruz does, to kind of engage, get the strikes out then get out of the way before anyone can take them down. Oh, they're very similar. It's 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 very very eerie how how similar the footwork is. The back. I mean, many people don't call it backpedaling, but he lands the shot and then he backpedals into the position that he wants to be in. His footwork is absolutely insane. It is, and I think that's got to you know go credit down to uh, Alliance, which is definitely one of the unsung gyms in MMA. They've got some good fighters up there. They do. Um, another fight that went down on the main card. This one sort of surprised me a little bit too. I thought it was going to stay on the feet a little bit longer. I thought um, someone was going to get knocked out with the big punch. Um, but it, no surprise, Brendan Schaub did get the fight to the ground. He did end up submitting Matt Mitrione. Um, and it happened in the very first round. Yeah, I think as, as sad as it is, because I do like this personally, I think Matt Mitrione may be on his way out of the uh, the UFC after that fight. You know, there was so much potential around him, you know, after he come off the ultimate fight and he had some half-decent performances, but it just hasn't lived up to that. And I think he's kind of shown that he's a bit one-dimensional. Um, you know, Brendan Schaub, we saw him in Meta Morris. He's, he's obviously got some kind of good ground game because we hear it from... You know, the likes of Henna and Hori and Gracie and all that who've, who've seen him grapple and he's grappled under them. But he hasn't really shown it in MMA. So it was quite impressive to see him get that submission win. But I don't know how much we can really read into submitting Matt Mitrione at this point. Let's read into another guy. Kicking off the main pay-per-view portion of the card, Habib Nurmagomedov. I said it properly this time. I did. <laughs> I, I, I listened to I listened to Goldberg the entire show and, and just tried to, you know, listen and listen and listen. How are they saying it? Because he said it probably a dozen times throughout the fight. But um, that fight, my goodness, he controlled Pat Healy the entire fight. I was actually quite surprised. I thought Healy was going to be able to do a bit here in this fight. I, I didn't think he would be getting taken down with ease, even though... Habib did take his last opponent down with record numbers. I thought Healy was going to be able to do a bit more off his back. This kid is 21-0 and 0 now. Um, he's He was begging for a title shot after the fight. Obviously, I don't think that's going to happen. But what do we see from this kid next? Yeah, it's, it's, it's too soon for a title fight, especially... You know, with a backlog that we've got with TJ Grant and, you know, Josh Thompson's obviously now getting his shot. I think they've, they've definitely got some good options there for uh, Habib. Um, you know, Pat Healy obviously was ranked in the top 10. I don't know necessarily if I do think he's top 10 lightweight. I think he kind of jumped in there on the back of a, a great performance against Jim Miller. But Jim Miller has, you know, been very inconsistent lately. So if, if I'm looking at the rankings and, and guys who are also putting on a good run, I think Rafael Dos Anjos would make an interesting fight. Um, you could definitely build that around being a contendership fight. Or if the UFC want to really test how good Habib is, they could give him to Benson Henderson. Interesting matchup. I didn't actually think of that one. Um, that sounds pretty good to me. But also what sounds good to me, this show today, we got a stacked lineup, two great guests. Very excited for this one, Ian. Um, first up, we're going to be joined by the now-retired Sean the Muscle Shark Shirk. Yeah, I love Sean Shirk. And it was, you know, they're going to get to listen to this conversation, obviously, but... I think people don't realize how nice of a guy Sean is away from the cage because he was very open with us too. 
He was. And yeah, we were able to record that interview earlier in the week. And uh, he opens up about quite a bit, uh, including some of his um, big MMA matches with the UFC, which is really cool. Um, another guy that opens up with us is our second guest, Mr. John Alessio. He'll be fighting in the Bellator lightweight tournament against Will Brooks in the opening round this Friday night from Portland, Oregon. Yeah, and you know that card. Obviously, if people haven't seen, it's got a change to the main event. Czech Congo has finally moved back a week, and they've actually pushed Joe Warren in. I think this week, which is a bit strange. But you know, any any chance Bellator will do to to make things a little bit confusing, they will do that there. But you know, just quickly before we jump into this, take me quickly back to UFC one sixty five. Has there ever been a main card? with such a disparity in quality between the first and the last fight because, you know, Gustafsson and Jones was amazing. But that first fight of the night, uh, Daniel Umielanschuk, or how they pronounce his name against Nando Galmino, you know, that, that actually makes me think I might be able to fight in the UFC one day. <laughs> no kidding. Yeah, I'd say that. And, and I mean, there were a few fights in early on in the card that, that were rather odd. I mean, we had two split decisions there. Um, and then we had another TKO. John McDessie looked fantastic in that oh, fight. Oh, yeah. And, uh, but a fight that surprised me and didn't go any way the, the, the way that I thought it was going to go was the, the Miles Jury against Mike Ricci. I thought Mike Ricci looked super slow. He looked very hesitant. He didn't look like he wanted to do anything. And he made Miles Jury, who is an excellent fighter, look bad himself. Yeah, Jury kind of got sucked into his game plan, which I think um, you could you could potentially say for Colin Fletcher as well when he fought Mike Ricci. That that game plan just seems to to get thrown off by how slow Mike Ricci tries to make fights, and it's it's confusing that somebody who's coming from such a great gym is so bad. And I I don't usually say this. I think Mike Ricci might be on the cutting block from the UFC because he just doesn't seem to have any upside at the moment. No, it's almost like like I was watching the fight and it almost looked like he like the UFC had put the fight in slow motion because literally his kicks were coming off very slow and then he'd follow it up with a punch that was a half-assed punch and and I'm not giving putting anything away from Mike Ricci's talent because the kid looked like he had talent on the Ultimate Fighter and in his last fight he fought fantastic. But this time around he just looked like he didn't want to be there. Yeah, and I think that's that's what's annoying with him. I, I actually agree with that. He's he's definitely got talent. He's shown that he's got talent, but for some reason he's just not carrying it over to the cage consistently and I think you know, that's probably holding him back from actually showing that he's a, a half-decent lightweight because I actually think he had a... On paper, when you matched him against Jury, and, you know, me and you talked about Jury recently, he's a very good fighter. That was a winnable fight for Ricci if he fought cleverly, but it just didn't seem to happen this weekend. No, because Jury, yes, he may be a Jury Jiu-Jitsu fighter, as he likes to be called in his introduction, but Ricci, who comes from TriStar, should have easily been able to take that fight to the ground and dictate where the fight went from the top position. Yeah, and, and you know, that's that's what's leaving us scratching our heads, Jerry, because he's just not getting that dirt cage. And, you know, I would actually be interested to hear what uh, Fira Shahabi's thoughts are on it, because, you know, we often hear about this from top coaches about guys who look amazing in the gym have the potential, but when it comes to fight night, they just can't carry that over. No kidding. Well, we, you've heard us rattle off enough about UFC 165. We told you about our guests, Sean Shirk, John Alessio. Let's get right into that Sean Shirk interview right now. He's a former welterweight title contender and has recently announced his retirement from the sport of mixed martial arts. Please welcome to the show for the very first time, Sean the Muscle Shark Shirk. Sean, thanks for taking the time to do this, man. Yeah, no problem. How are you guys doing? Good, good. Now, you've now officially announced your retirement from the sport 
Um, what was making that decision like after pretty much being involved in some kind of competition since the age of seven? Well, I mean, uh, just came down the injuries, uh, but just they just just keep piling up, and the old ones don't go away, and the new ones keep popping up, and I just figured that it really wasn't worth getting into the cage if I'm not going to be, you know, anywhere near 100 percent, you know. So I just thought maybe it was time to, to hang it up and move on. Yeah, Sean, you've had a, a very long career, you know, like we were saying, competing since the age of seven. But I was wondering if we could take you back right at the start. Uh, you know, in 1999, you actually made your, your debut in MMA. Um, after wrestling all that time, what was going through your head, you know, actually heading into that very first MMA fight? After my first fight, you know, I mean, I just, I knew that I loved it. I, I trained for... I had many years of training under my belt, including wrestling and boxing as a kid and stuff like that. And I had trained specifically for my first fight for six months, specifically just for that. It was a three, it was an eight-man tournament. It wasn't what it was. So once I got in there, it was just just a, just a complete adrenaline rush, and I just had a blast and thought it was the coolest thing in the world. And I knew at that point in time that I had found my calling, and I made my life. Uh, revolved my life around mixed martial arts at that point in time for the next 13 years. Yeah, and, you know, you started off your career pretty much, you know, perfectly ran up, you know, straight 10 wins in a row, and then, you know, you fought a couple of times uh, more than once in a night, which I can guess was crazy. Uh, ultimately, you got that call to the UFC to fight uh, everyone's uh, favorite guy named Tiki at UFC 30. What, you know, what was it like actually to get into the UFC at that point? Um, that was a goal of mine from the first time I started fighting because the reason why I even got into mixed martial arts was because I, I watched the UFC. I was a fan, you know, I, I watched it since UFC number two. And I knew who every one of those guys were. I knew all their stats, where they were from, their styles. I knew all about the matchups and, you know, I was, I was, I was a huge fan of the sport and that's what got me into it. So for me to actually walk into the octagon and, and fight for the UFC itself, I, I just, I mean, that was a dream come true. And I just thought it was the greatest thing in the world. And that, that was where I wanted to spend the rest of my career. And unfortunately, I, uh, the UFC cut me after my first fight. It wasn't because of a loss. It wasn't because of a boring fight. It was just, you know, they only, they were only doing two or three shows a year at that point in time. And, uh, they just didn't have any room for me, you know. They had a, they had Matt Hughes, who they considered basically I was a mere image of him, and and he had already had three or four fights in the UFC at that point in time, and they just said they didn't have any room for me. So I was back to fighting in the small organizations again after that until I finally came back in 2001, I believe. Now you went on. Obviously, you came back. You went on to a, an amazing title fight against Matt Hughes, which obviously, in my mind, is one of the most underrated welterweight fights out there. Um, you ended up losing, but it was competitive. What was it like to fight Hughes in, in that time? Because he was the biggest star in the UFC at the time. Yeah, that was, again, he was, he was ranked number one pound for pound in the world. He was ranked number one in my weight class. He was the UFC champion. And he was basically considered unbeatable. I don't think anybody in the UFC even came close to beating him at any point in time. Uh, I just walked through everybody. So um, fighting him was a big deal. I just, you know, again, I, I had a four-month training camp leading into that fight. If he was going to beat me, it was going to be because he was better than me, not because of conditioning or technique or anything like that. And, and uh, was gonna wasn't going to take anything to yeah, so I trained my butt off, and I got in there in the best best shape I had been at that point in time in my life, and uh, we went to war. You know, I wish I wish the fight had standed up a little bit longer. That's the fight that I was actually training for. I wanted to box with them, and, uh, you know, he, he took advantage of that. He was able to take me down a few times early in the fight, and after the third round or after the, uh, I think it was after the second round, actually, my corner guy says, no more boxing. He says, you start wrestling. So that's when the fight started to become more competitive when I started utilizing my wrestling more. But looking back at it, you know, I mean, uh, he was a great champion and it was an honor to step into the cage with him. 
And then in your next fight with the UFC, obviously you had quite the layoff between coming back after fighting Matt Hughes to coming back. You come in and you face off against George St. Pierre, who is arguably one of the best pound-for-pound fighters in the world now. Um, What was it like stepping in the cage with him, and did you know that he would be what he is today back then? I knew he was a big deal. I mean, the guy was undefeated. No, he had one loss. No, he was undefeated when I fought him, actually, come to think of it. Um, and he was just, he was panhandling everybody. Uh, you know, he was, he was beating everybody and, and some good wrestlers on top of that. And I, I knew he was good, and I knew it was going to be a really tough fight. I think he was number two in the world at that time, and I was number three or four, so we were we were close as far as rankings went. I had a lot more experience, obviously, but, uh, you know, I went in there, and I, again, I had a good training camp, but, you know, a good three-month training camp. I wasn't injured, and he just was the better fighter, you know. He, he was he was two or three moves ahead of me at all points, all, all times, and his game plan was phenomenal, and, you know, <laughs> you know he, he, he was doing real well in the stand-up, and I felt like as soon as I was starting to catch up and become more competitive in the stand-up, and he would shoot and take me down. and uh, He just, just really threw me off. And as everybody who's seen the fight knows, obviously, he stopped me in the second round. So, Yeah, you know, between uh, the Hughes fight and the St. Pierre fight, you took some more fights. And the one that I think a lot of people often forget is that you went and actually took a fight in the Pride Fighting Championships. What was that like fighting in, in Japan? And, and do you wish you had got more chances to fight over there? Yeah, I wish I'd have had more chance to fight over there. I thought it was great because Pride was was the biggest was the biggest promotion in the world at that point in time. Pride was bigger than the UFC. Pride Pride over in Japan was like the you know, back then was like the UFC is now. I mean the fighters were household names, they were televising on T V. Fighters had big endorsement deals, you'd see uh, you know, big billboards with Bob Sapp on them and, you know, uh, Shamrock. And, you know, you'd see all these guys. And, you know, I've never seen that before. So for me, that was phenomenal. And walking down the street, people know who you are. And people waiting in the lobbies of a hotel room giving you presents. And for me, I was like, holy crap. You know, in America, they, they call us brutal. And they call it cockfighting. And it's frowned upon. And they'll come over here and you're like a superstar. So that was cool, you know. And then playing in front of 20,000 Japanese fans was pretty cool, too, because they don't say a word the entire time you're fighting. You can literally hear your corner guys speaking in just a normal tone of voice, talking to you, telling you what to do. You can hear him playing his day as if you were sitting in a room just him, him and yourself. And, you know, the, the, the fans understood the sport. They clap and cheer whenever you, know, you do something good. And uh, Unfortunately, they didn't have me back. I went over there, and I had a great fight with... Uh, with one of their champions over there, and I, I beat him handily. And after the fight was over, they they offered me another fight, but the money was really bad, and they wanted they wanted me to be exclusive for six months. And I had a kid at that point in time, had a house payment, a lot of bills. I just I there was no possible way I was going to be able to pay my bills on the money they offered me if I was going to be exclusively with them. So I had to turn it down, and that was pretty much the end of that. Yeah, and then, like like we were talking about, you obviously you got to come back. You fought GSP. After that, you got to fight Nick Diaz, which was another great fight. But uh, the fight after that is the one I think most people will find the most interesting. That that was the chance for you to get down and fight for that uh, UFC lightweight title. Um, you and Kenny Florian, one of the bloodiest fights of all time. Uh, what do you remember from that fight? And is it is it hard to fight with that much blood? You know, against someone like Kenny Florian. Yeah, I had a lot of adversity going into that fight. A lot, a lot of people might remember that I actually completely tore my shoulder a week before the fight took place. So my, I tore my, I had a slap tear in my right arm, and I literally couldn't move my arm at all. And uh, you know, there just was, was there was, I mean, that that I, there was no point, there was no chance I was going to pull out of that fight because of a shoulder injury. You know, I, my second opportunity to fight for a world title and. I wasn't going to let that opportunity get away from me. So I fought with a torn shoulder, and they almost canceled the fight. They found out the shoulders were t- my shoulder was torn. Somebody snitched on me, and uh, they almost pulled me out of the fight. I was able to convince them I was okay, and I was, you know, just pre-fight nerves and all this, you know, all this stuff. So let me fight. And, uh, you know, again, I, like you had mentioned, as far as the blood goes, I got a real bad cut uh, above my above my eyebrow or 
uh, actually on, on, my, on my forehead in the second round, and there just was blood everywhere. He caught me right on a vein, and uh, it was blood. Blood's very slippery, and I, I would I would compare it to oil. That's how slippery it is. So that really affected my ground game, especially because it just was really hard for me to hold on to Kenny, and it was hard for me to see, and he wasn't able to see because blood was all over his face, and I could hear him complaining to the referee, I can't see, I can't see, and the referee's asking him, do you want to quit, do you want to quit? He's like, no, I don't want to quit, so, you know, it's like, we just had to grind through it, we had to fight, you know, I mean, my my comment to that is, if, if you don't want to swim with somebody else's blood, don't come intentionally, but that was intentional. <laughs> it was a crazy fight uh, you know that ultimately led uh, on you got the, you got that title you know a UFC champion which obviously is a massive deal um, but it, it led to what I think is uh, I'm, I'm sure that you might agree with this is the most heated rivalry that you had of your career and that was with BJ Penn uh, and that was very exciting because you know the UFC brought the lightweight title back but it, it didn't feel like uh, the fans had got behind the division until you and BJ start with all that trash talking. So how was that? And, and was that the time where you had the most ill feeling towards an opponent? Yeah, you know, that was the first time I actually fought somebody that I, where I actually really disliked them. And that was, I think that was part of his game plan. His game plan was to get into my head and, and heat me up and make me angry. And, you know, then I wouldn't have my wits about me. I think BJ's the kind of guy who probably fights better angry. Me? I've never hated an opponent before. I, I don't look at it enough as nothing personal. I get in there and I fight and I want to win and that's what drives me. So that fight, we didn't like each other. I didn't like him. I wanted to, I wanted to hurt him. And I know uh, all the smack talk kind of got to me and probably about a couple weeks, maybe a month before the fight, I threw my game plan out the window and I just basically said, I'm just going to, I'm going to outbox him and I'm going to, I'm just going to, I just want to hit him in the mouth, you know, and shut him up. So, it didn't work out. You know, BJ outboxed me. He outpointed me. I threw twice as many punches as he did, but his movement and uh, his accuracy is what really got to me in that one. Uh, you know, I felt like my punches were probably a half inch off, maybe an inch off. They were right there. They were just missing by a little bit uh, where all of his punches were right on the money, right around the eyes, right on the jaw every single time. You know, and if you saw what my face looked like after that fight, you could tell, you know, his accuracy was right on the money. And, uh, you know, I mean, it was it was a great fight, though. And after the fight was over, we shook hands. And, uh, you know, ever, ever since then, I mean, we've been cool. Yeah. Now, you know, we, as we said at the beginning, you've, you've called time on uh... – a fantastic career. And, you know, if you look at your record, your only four defeats are to, you know, four world champions, you know, and you, you didn't really uh, go out as some fighters do on a decline, you know, losing to fighters, you've, you've finished your career on a win. But the main question, Sean, is do you have any regrets? No regrets at all. I, I set out to, to be a professional fighter and I wanted to be one of the best in the world and I wanted to fight for a UFC world title and I wanted to win a UFC world title and I accomplished all those things. And, you know, to be a part of an industry like this for 13 years where, you know, when I first started fighting, this wasn't cool. Uh, it was illegal in pretty much every single state. We had to go to casinos and fight at casinos because, you know, the, you know, the state laws don't apply on the casinos and there was no money involved. I worked a full-time job, my first 15 pro fights and, you know, I mean, I did it because I loved it, and I, I fought all the way up until my last fight because I loved this sport and to be a part of the industry from from when it was grassroots up until up until it really hit the mainstream was just uh, was great. Now, finally, Sean, before we let you go here, um, you said that you 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 accomplished all of your goals within the sport of mixed martial arts. What exactly is next for um, Sean Shirk in in terms of his career? I mean, you've retired from the sport of mixed martial arts, but will will we see still see you on the scene? Well, as far as mixed martial arts goes, I would like to stay involved. I would like to coach. I'd like to I'd like to maybe maybe coach you know one of the one of the teams they got out there. You know the TV the TV stuff they do. I don't even know the name of the show because I don't watch any of it, but. You know, I think something like that would be fun. I'd like to, you know, help out the up-and-coming fighters and do, do some seminars and stuff like that. But besides that, you know, I've, I've got two other businesses I own right now. Training Mask is one of them, and the other one is uh, house flipping. So I, 
I've been involved with training masks for over two years now, and I've been flipping houses for probably probably going on nine months now. What's your best flip? My best one? <laughs> uh, you know, I mean, it's profitable. You can, you, can, <laughs> you can definitely make some money in that industry, there's no doubt. <laughs> and it's something I can do until I'm 70. There you go. He is Sean the Muscle Shark Shirk. Unfortunately, he's not no longer with us in the sport of mixed martial arts, but I'm sure you'll see him around the scene. Uh, Sean, it's been a pleasure. Thanks a lot for joining us today. You bet. Thanks for having me. It really sucks that we're never going to see Sean Shirk back in the cage because I think that retirement is where this guy is staying. It sounds like he's making good money flipping houses and doing that kind of thing. Um, but I would love to see him get back in the cage and, and at least give it one more shot. Yeah, it's, it, it is a shame that uh, it has been, you know, I think we're coming up three years since he beat Evan Dunham in his last fight. Um, but as he, as he did say that, he seems to be happy flipping houses and you know, the training mask has obviously turned into quite a big product around the gyms. Uh, you know what I mean? He's got a, I know he's got a stake in that company, but I particularly enjoyed hearing uh, the story there about BJ Penn and how he pretty much lost that fight before it happened because BJ got under his skin. Yeah, super interesting. It was cool to hear him talk about his past fights and, and he was really open about it. And uh, it was it was nice getting Sean on the show for the first time, even though it might be the last time. It might be, but you never know. Sean Shirk might produce a, a coaching career because he did kind of hint that he would like to do a little bit of that. Yeah, it was interesting to hear him say that he might even like to do something like The Ultimate Fighter or one of those kind of shows. I think that might be... <clears throat> I, I've spoken to a few people about this, and, and I don't know your thoughts on it. I know you're not a huge fan of The Ultimate Fighter. This season is, is actually really good because it's men, women. You know, you get that sort of vibe. We got the two coaches, Misha Tate and Ronda Rousey. But a season that might draw fans into it and old school fans of MMA is bringing back a retired guy to coach one of the teams or both of the teams, like, say, a Chuck Liddell or a Sean Shirk or, or one of those kind of guys and have it as, a, as an all-star coach. You know, that's a possibility, but... <laughs> As with anything with the Ultimate Fighter, it's just trying to get the talent in there to match the coaches. Because I never really have a big problem with who they choose as coaches. I mean, there've been some iffy seasons, you know, Roy Nelson, Shane Carwin, um, this one upcoming for Canada versus Australia. Cote and Nook doesn't really do it for me either. But I don't think that one does it for anyone. including us Canadians up here, because we were scratching our head when we heard that it was Patrick Cote as well. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't know who else they could have really done. You know, they did Solaropolis for the, the Smashers one, and he, no offense to Solaropolis, he came off as a bit of a dick. I know, so, they're trying, I know they're trying to do, you know, grow the, the, the Australian market, but the, Canada already has a rivalry with the U.S. Why didn't they yeah. do Canada versus U.S.? Throw it as Rory McDonald versus someone from the United States. Yes, Rory is very drab and, and, you know, he's got that killer instinct in him. You know, they say he's the American or Canadian psycho, like American Psycho, the movie and stuff like that. But Mm -hmm. how great would it be to get him on there as a coach against the United States? Because there's already that rivalry. Yeah, I mean, they could they could potentially still do that, you know, with. If I had to choose somebody to be an opposite coach to Rory McDonald, I wouldn't mind seeing them do that for a, a Condit rematch because I, I think Condit would be an interesting coach and personality to get on the, on the TV. But, you know, the ultimate fight, I, I don't know how long they can keep pushing this out because the talent pools, especially in the United States, are getting, you know, a lot weaker than what they were. I, I do agree with you that it's interesting this season because they haven't really hit the the female market and they might get away with a, a season of doing flyweights because you know the flyweight market's still emerging but you know there's only so many welterweights and middleweights you can pick up out there that are going to be semi-decent yeah and the problem is you know they yes they haven't drawn on the women but half these women have more well most of the women that are on the show have more fights than ronda rousey and the rest of the ufc women in the division anyway yeah, but, you know, they don't have the UFC hype machine behind them. That's what Ronda Rousey has. So 
Uh, it, you know, it's interesting. I I don't watch the Ultimate Fighter. I, people, you know, go after me for not doing that, but I will watch the finale as I do all the time. I think that's probably the best time to find out who on the season actually is relevant in any way. So. Uh, you know, if I wanted to watch people live in a house, I'd watch Big Brother. <laughs> exactly. However, let me let me say this to you though. I think for the women, it would have been interesting if they had done the winner of the season because you know the winner of the season is probably going to be one of the top fighters from the female side, and she's yeah. probably going to have had a ton of fights on her backing, and and she's going to be good. So she should have automatically gotten a shot at Ronda Rousey for the title. You know, that wouldn't be a bad idea, but I think the logistics of having Ronda potentially coach the winner would have been a bit uh, dodgy. But I think, you know, the likelihood is the the women's division, I think, uh, I went to do the UFC rankings yesterday, officially now only has 11 women on their roster. <laughs> um, so, you know, it's pretty likely that the winner of this show is probably going to end up getting a title shot at some point anyway. Yeah, for sure. Someone who might get a title shot is our next guest, John Alessio. He's uh, fighting in the Bellator lightweight tournament. Let's turn it over to that interview right after this. When I learned that I had a brother, I made up a dance for you. We'd be crime fighters together and do things that brothers do. When you told me about his mother... Joining us on the line right now is one of Canada's best lightweight talents. He may not train in Canada anymore, uh, but please welcome back to the show, Mr. John Alessio. John, thanks for doing this, man. Thanks for having me on, guys. How are you doing? Good, good. Now, we haven't seen you grace the cage since last November, which was an unfortunate fight. Um, You returned to your home province to fight for the AFC, and it ended up being a no contest due to an eye poke. How crappy was that? That really sucked, man. That was a real low point right there. Um, you know, I had just recently got cut by the UFC, and um, so, you know, there was obviously a low point there, and then thinking, okay, this will be exciting to go back home and fight in front of my hometown crowd. And for it to have happened like that was just kind of like super anticlimactic, you know, and just, it's just blah, man. It just sucked, and, you know, aspects you know i wanted to win real bad i wanted to fight for my hometown real bad and and uh, yeah i think it just did not go my way right there and uh it just kind of seemed like man i needed a break here because you know things just weren't going good i probably shouldn't have took the fight in the first place but i just really wanted to fight so bad for my hometown uh about a week and a half before the fight i had tore my pcl and my left knee and uh, decided, you know what, I was going to tough it out just because I wanted to go home and fight so bad. And uh, so maybe the eye poke in hindsight was, you know, a blessing to the skies because, you know, what if what if something in that fight happened and I had to, you know, and it would have been a loss or something, you know, with a knee injury. So, you know, I guess looking back on it, you know, maybe it was a blessing to the skies and things happened for a reason. But, uh, yeah, it was just a weird time, you know, two losses, a knee injury, then an eye poke and a no contest and, ugh, it was just, <laughs> yeah, so is is that why there was such a long layoff between, like we found out you signed with Bellator, but there was quite the layoff between this fight that's coming up and that AFC fight. Yeah, there was, uh, yeah, I just needed some time to, you know, heal my uh, ego, emotions a little bit, you know, just from everything that was going on at the UFC and stuff, and I just needed a little time, of course, with the knee injury, I needed to... We we had it, so I spent. Uh, it didn't require surgery, so that, which was you know a good thing. And so I just rehabbed it for three or four months and got really strong, got back to where it should be, and then just got back in the gym, and started training, and then uh, I actually was supposed to fight on that Global Warrior uh, Championship or Challenge, whatever it's called, in June. And then uh, about a week and a half before that fight, I got a bad staph infection. <laughs> So I had to pull out of that fight, but right at that time, I had just signed with Bellator and stuff. So again, it was kind of maybe a blessing in disguise, like, all right, let's just wait for the big opportunity and do the tournament and, you know, get healthy and, and just focus on that. So uh, that's what I had to do, you know, that staph infection healed up within a couple of weeks, you know, and then I was back in the gym and 
focused on Bellator ever since. So I've put in a real long time for Bellator, that's for sure. Definitely, John. And, you know, moving forward, you're going to make your debut against uh, Will Brooks in the Bellator cage. It's in the lightweight tournament. Did, did you know anything about Will uh, before the fight was actually made? Yeah, I've seen him fight before. Uh, he actually fought my buddy who's in the tournament as well, this tournament, uh, Saeed Awad. And uh, Saeed got the knockout victory over him. And uh, so I was a little familiar with him. I've seen him fight in uh, Dream before once. And then, uh, then once I got matched up with him, you know, I did a little bit more studying on him and stuff. And uh, he's a tough, young, up-and-coming kid. And, you know, it's going to be my job to uh, take him out. Oh, definitely. And, you know, this tournament's got a... A lot of talent and a lot of experienced guys. And what do you actually think about, you know, the, the eight guys that they put in this tournament um, alongside yourself there? Or should I say seven? Yeah, it's a great tournament, you know, real stacked. Uh, I mean, I, th- I think the combined fight between the seven, you know, me and the seven other guys is like 265 fights or something like that. So definitely a wealth of experience going on. And me and Rich Clemente, we, we take about half of that. <laughs> He's got about 65 fights, and I got 50, I'm got going to be 52 here coming up. So, um, yeah, we take a big chunk of that. And uh, it's going to be a good tournament. Um, there's some good matchups. And, you know, I, I look forward to being able to throw down with, you know, these other guys and see who, who else makes the next round. And, yeah, it's going to be fun. You know, I think this is probably one of the most experienced tournaments in the lightweight division that they had. Do you have a pick for the final two? Uh, me versus I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> well, when you were released by the UFC, obviously you had a lot of options. You did fight that one fight with AFC after that, but what made you choose Bellator as your new stomping grounds? I mean, it's the second biggest show in the world, really. I mean, there's no more strike force going on or anything like that. And uh, I, I like tournaments. You know, I, I come from the old school days where tournaments were the way to do it. So I figured it was just kind of fitting to, you know, possibly end my career in Bellator and uh, go, go out by winning a tournament. And I thought it would be really good, you know, and I'm, I'm a huge fan of tournaments. I like the fact that they're live on Spike TV, so... In Canada and the U.S. and around the world can watch, you know, watch me live. They don't have to get an internet feed or something like that. So it's, it's just a good stage to fight on, um, and I'm happy to be part of it. And quite frankly, I'm, I'm just over the UFC. <laughs> yeah, now for sure. Uh, you you spoke about tournaments, and we know you've you've liked them in the past. You said you like them now. Um, does it alter the way you train though, because um, you're fighting so close together between fights? Yeah, I mean that's good. it's gonna be grueling on the body, you know. Um, but everybody who advances is going through the exact same thing, you know. So it's gonna be a real test of uh, your mind as well. You know, you gotta have to be mentally strong to get through this and. Uh, keep moving on if you know you're going to be banged up and bruised but you know so is everybody else and i i just like the fact that there's no politics really involved in the tournaments you know you, you win you advance you win the tournament you get a title shot you know it doesn't matter who you know is more marketable or who's got more fans on twitter or who the promoter you know is all over at the moment, you know what I mean? So it's just basically let your fight and do the talking and you don't, there's no pressure to perform in a certain manner. It's just go fight your fight, earn your spot, and that's it. Uh, you know, you were saying before, uh, you know, you and Rich Clementi have taken up half of the fights between you all in that tournament there. Um, I know that you've started a business outside of the cage. Uh, do you have a time frame on how long you see yourself still doing MMA? Uh, you know, I, I don't put a, a time out on anything, really. Um, I, I'm feeling good. I feel rejuvenated. I've done a lot of changes for this fight. You know, uh, I brought in a, a hypnotherapist and sports uh, mind coach. So working really hard on the mental aspect of the sport. 
and uh, brought in a new strength coach to work on getting stronger, like I was when I used to fight at 70. You know, when I think I made the change to 55, I had to kind of transform my body type, and, you know, I lost strength in the process. So now that I knew I can make 55, it was time to hit the weights hard and get my strength back up to where it used to be, and I feel a little good. I feel real strong mentally and physically. I feel like my wrestling's improved a lot, you know, mostly because of how much stronger I feel now, and I feel feel real fast, and, you know, I just feel really good right now, and, you know, I'm going to go out there and win this tournament, and then, you know, see what happens from there. Um, you know, this tournament means the world to me right now, and right now I'm completely focused on this and nothing else. Um, of course, you know, I have my business that, you know, I'm focusing on as well, but, I mean, other than that, this is my only goals in life right now is to win this tournament. My wife is taking care of the business, and, and uh, it's doing great, so it's, there's no stress there at all. So, you know, things, things are really good, and I'll just go from there, you know, and when uh, I decide to hang him up, it'll probably just be more of a shock to myself and everybody else because, you know, it'll probably just be one of those days where it's just like, you know what, the business is doing good. It's just time to walk away. But right now, i got a tournament to win. Oh, yeah, definitely. And I'm sure that it is many years away from, from now, John. Uh, you, you know, you were talking a little bit before about the, this spell between your last fight and this one, and you went through a bit of a, a bad moment with the UFC and stuff like that. I was just wondering, what, what is that bad feeling from the UFC? Is it that they, they didn't give you another fight, or is it that, you know, you had two spells there, and I was saying this to Jeremy earlier on, there isn't any better fighters out there that have fought in the UFC five times and not got a win, because you're, there, there is fighters in the UFC that are less talented than you, who have had wins, and it, it kind of didn't add up. Yeah, it was very frustrating. You know, I just, I felt jinxed and defeated before I even got into the octagon, you know, this recent time getting signed. Like, you know, the Bocek fight, you know, like I took it on 14 days notice, and, you know, so like I understand, you know, that, that one, but then I, but mentally, I just wasn't ready for either of those, the roller fight or the Bocek fight. I just, I just had this thing in my head the whole time where, like, I can't win in the UFC for some reason, you know? And so I basically jinxed myself before I got in there. And and so it was just really hard to handle, like, why? Why can't I get a win in the UFC? Like, you know, I, I, I beat up guys. They go to the UFC and they get a win. But, and I'm thinking, like, I beat this dude up, you know? Like, so I almost started thinking, like, Maybe if I fought that guy in the UFC, he would have beat me. You know, it's just like this weird thing I had built up head, and you know, so I, I was able to process all this stuff as a sports therapist and, and and get to the bottom of where all my problems were. You know, what I was holding inside. You know, and I was able to just let go. You know, and just you know that was those are the reasons I built up these stupid things in my head, and now I got a fresh start. In, in Bellator, where there's no politics involved, you know, uh, the UFC, there's a lot of a lot of politics, a lot of influence going on. Um, you know, they want you to do certain things in a certain way, even if it's not you. And it, it just really bothered me, you know. And it doesn't feel like you can just fight your fight when you're, when you're at the UFC. And that's why I really have no desire to go back to the UFC, even if, you know, I win this tournament and beat Michael Chandler for the belt and become a free agent. I don't want to go back to the UFC. Uh, I just don't. I'm, I just don't think the way they treat fighters is is right. And uh, you know, but I've also learned to let go of those feelings and uh, you know deal with it and move on. And that's why I'm just excited now to be in that Bellator cage and just show the world what I'm really about. There's no pressure. I just I'm ready to compete. I'm ready to perform. Uh, I'm mentally stronger than ever, and just I'm ready, man. Let's speak about being ready. Let's speak about your training. You're training with Syndicate now, correct? Yeah, I'm at Syndicate MMA. I'm still at Drysdale Jiu-Jitsu a few days a week. But, uh, yeah, I'm at Syndicate MMA where John Woods has been helping me just put everything together. You know, I got a great boxing coach for Gil Martinez. And, you know, I was getting great Jiu-Jitsu at Drysdale. But I just needed someone to help me blend everything together, you know, combinations into shots and you know, working on ground and pound and the movements and just, 
you know, just putting the game together, you know, and then I brought in the new strength coach and just worked on, you know, just getting stronger, you know, a lot of deadlifts, a lot of squatting and just getting my base and foundation stronger from like it should be. And, and yeah, I just, I feel amazing with the changes and, you know, I, I'm feeling very confident and can't wait to showcase that on Spike TV next week, next for, Friday. For sure. Now, not to bring up negative or anything like that. I just, I, a question I want to ask is, Syndicate has a, a ton of talent there now that that have been training there. Um, when guys, when other guys other than yourself get into you know debacles and feuds with other fighters, and and it becomes a mental game on them, does that ever come? A, a, does there ever come a time when that shows up in the gym itself and it rubs off on everyone? You know, I haven't seen anything like that in the gym. You know, I mean. All I heard, you know, I saw on TV was the whole King Mo issue when he fought Jacob Noe and the Bellator, you know, thing, and he had a beef, but, you know, right after the fight, King Mo's been in the gym again training with us, so <laughs> um, it hasn't affected me at all. I just think it's all shenanigans anyways, you know, and people are going to talk, and, you know, but the, what I like about Syndicate is it's a real team atmosphere. Everybody's feeding off of each other in a positive way. There's a lot of great amateur guys coming up the ranks in there and uh some of my best sparring partners are these amateur guys you know that are going to be turning pro at some point and uh you know it's fun to help watch them grow and help them grow as fighters as well and um i really like the atmosphere in there it's something that i felt was kind of lacking at extreme couture it was kind of more of a you know all for yourself kind of thing where this is a little bit more of a team atmosphere and and uh, I, I just like the way that I've put together, you know, my camp, you know, specifically as well with the coaches I have and helping me blend everything together. And, you know, there's always going to be drama, but you just got to let that, you know, you got to separate the drama and the bullshit and just focus on, you know, preparing for the fight. It's got to be pretty cool to train with George Lucas's daughter as well. Do you ever get any free Star Wars swag? Man, I wish. I wish I could get something autographed. Uh, John John Woods, Coach Woods has got a whole bunch. He's got every single Star Wars poster autographed by George Lucas and all this cool stuff. So, you know, maybe down the road I'll get something. But I'm also not one of those guys that's going to, you know, be all over her to ask for stuff, you know. So if it happens, it happens. But uh, I definitely think it's pretty cool, you know, and that his daughter's in the gym and stuff like that, and I don't think she's going to fight anymore. I think she's not fighting, but uh, she's, she's there still. And now, before we let you go, just you spoke about it earlier, your new business. Um, just sort of pump it up a little. Yeah, it's the store. It's um, an athletic yoga training apparel boutique. Uh, it's geared mostly towards women, but we do have a men's section. Uh, so, yeah, like for all of us, Ladies out there that do yoga and stuff like that, we got real stylish clothes to wear, uh, lots of options. Uh, you know, Lululemon only has Lululemon, but we carry 25 different brands. And so we have lots of options, stuff for, that's made right here in the U.S. and some stuff from Canada as well. Uh, some of it's, you know, made from recycled materials and organically made. And we've got some clothing lines from Brazil and so we got a good variety of stuff, and uh, it's been going awesome, man. We're opening our second store on November 15th, so we're going to have two stores in Las Vegas, and uh, it's just been amazing, you know. It goes to show what, you know, hard work and dedication, you know, can bring you, and, you know, obviously a good idea as well. <laughs> he is John uh, So, yeah, I mean, you can follow that on Twitter. Oh, you can follow that on Twitter, the Sweat Store LV. Um, and we're also on Instagram, the Fresh LV. We also have a Facebook, which you can look it up. It's this uh, Facebook page is the Fresh Store also. So, yeah, check us out. And uh, we're going to have our website up real soon with online shopping. You can already do some online shopping on our Facebook page, but our, our official website is being built right now. Nice. You talk about determination. Hopefully, that's the case next Friday night against Will Brooks. He is John Alessio um, fighting. Next Friday night at Bellator Live on Spike TV in the lightweight tournament. John, you gave us the Twitter for uh, the Sweat Store. Give us the Twitter for yourself. It's uh, John Alessio 79. 
Uh, follow me on Twitter. I'm also on Instagram. Posting some silly shit. So it's also the same handle, John Messier 79. Perfect, John. Thanks a lot and good luck. All right. Take care, guys. Thank you. There you have it, John Alessio. Um, he's fighting this Friday against Will Brooks. Uh, Bellator 101 in Portland, Oregon. Lightweight tournament. Uh, who do you have in this fight? Um, I've, I've seen Will Brooks fight. I think he's a very talented fighter. Obviously, Alessio makes no secrets of the, the fact that his wrestling is his down point. So Brooks potentially could wrestle him. I do think Alessio probably will take care of Brooks, and I'm, I'm hoping he does. Um, after that, you know, it was it, there was some interesting stuff in there. You know, that he, he was battling a little bit of depression uh, coming from that UFC cut, and, and now we will never ever go back to the UFC. So I'd like to see him advance. Uh, but you know, this tournament's got some pretty good fighters in for for a Bellator tournament. Yeah, it does. Uh, I was going to ask you that. Uh, because we asked him who he would want to fight in the finals or who he thought was going to be in the finals, and he simply said, me against any one of these guys, because obviously he doesn't care who he fights, but who do you think is going to end up in the finals? Because I could see John Alessio advancing all the way to the finals. Um, who could you see alongside him, or do you even think he makes it that far? I think he's got a chance to make it that far. I think there's some tricky fights for him there. Um Obviously, we know the top half of the, the the kind of draw they've made there. They've got Marcus Davis, that Tiger Sun guy who's you know still a little green, but you know a talented prospect. Green, got Mitch Clemente uh, gr- in there. green with twenty four fights on his, under his belt. <laughs> yeah, that, well, you know that rush after you though. You know, there's there's some Russian promotions where you, you're fighting guys who are zero and seven yeah. and things like that. <laughs> if you look at his record there, but. Uh, I think Alexio could make the final, but um, you know it's it's hard one to pick. I, I think if I hand on heart had to pick someone, it would probably would be that Russian guy. I think Sonovsky probably would beat Davis. He'd probably beat Clementi. Uh, I think Martin Stableney probably beat him. If I remember correctly, the other fight has got Seattle Ward in, who I think is pretty good as well. So yeah, that's who's you know, fighting, it's going to be a tough one, actually. That, that's who's fighting Stapleton. And it, it would be unfortunate if we see Alessio fight him because they are teammates. So uh, that would sort of suck. Yeah, but, you know, they must have considered that that was going to happen when they signed up to that tournament. Exactly. Um, another cool thing, we spoke about UFC 165 right off the hop, but we saw... Um, just after the fight, neither of these guys, neither of the main event fighters, John Jones or Alex Gustafson, made it to the post-fight press conference because they were en route to the hospital. And uh, Gustafson tweeted out and sent out on his Instagram and Facebook a picture of the two of these guys side by side in the hospital with each other, which was pretty cool camaraderie. Yeah, it was a, a nice touching moment. I actually like those. We've had a a few of them over the years. Uh, I remember the BJ Penick Diaz woman who was sitting backstage, and you know, there's been a few like that. But I think what John Jones probably realised is he got a very, very close decision, and uh, he's very, he is very lucky to have the bell this week. Oh man, he he got bloodied up. He 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 could barely even talk in the post-fight interview with Joe Rogan. There, his lip was so swollen. Yeah, and as I was saying, Nutty Professor lips. You know, we've seen the the Nutty Professor movie when he's going for a transformation. That is what John Jones' lips look like. They were <laughs> enormous, absolutely enormous. And I don't think I've ever seen his lips look that big from from swelling. No, um, but you know, he he took it to him. He was. Aggressive. I think that's the key to probably beating John Jones is you've got to be aggressive, not let John Jones dictate where the fight's going. No, we're going to dictate where this is going. It's going to end the show. Uh, I'd like to thank our guests, Sean Shirk. Uh, It was awesome talking to him uh, on retirement and everything else. And also John Alessio. Good luck to him this Friday night um, in the Bellator Lightweight Tournament. Hopefully he wins and and brings that sucker record up again because this past weekend we didn't do so well. Um, (laughs) Thank you to you, Ian, for riding shotgun with me for this show. Thank you for having me. 
perfect. Thank you guys for listening. Make sure you check out MMA Sucka and MMA Opinion on Facebook and Twitter. And you can always listen to this show on iTunes, Stitcher, what have you. Check it out on the websites. Make sure you like it. Make sure you thumbs up it. Make sure you comment on it on iTunes and Stitcher. That really helps out the show. Um, Thank you guys very much for listening. And we're out. I have allotted us each $8 per meal. So it looks like you can get one of the uh, one of the salads or a soup. Or... Sorry, I'm I'm quick. Uh, the tomato soup for me, please. That'll do it. I'm gonna take a full slab of the baby bags, and I'm gonna take that with mashed taters, hush puppies, and I'm gonna get a. Uh, I'm gonna have a sweet tea. I asked you to eat less food. What is wrong with you? This is a beautiful woman. You let her eat. No, he's right. You know, I put on a little bit of weight because of all the stress. Walter's a fireman. Oh. Yeah, but it's okay. It's okay. He had a pretty, pretty intense. She doesn't care. Accident last year, and he injured his male parts. They're just shredded down there. And now he can't work. He wants to fight fires, and he wants to pee standing up. Don't you want pee standing up? I know you do, but he can't. Just bring two soups.